there's a huge apocalypse happening in this space right now in the Canadian local news sphere. We're solving for that problem because we know that having access to in-depth local news is really important. So it just feels more relevant than ever to be working on this problem of coming up with what is a replicable and sustainable model for providing that local news that these communities deserve. Welcome to SheEO.World, a podcast about redesigning the world. I'm your host, Vicki Saunders. In each episode, you'll hear from SheEO Venture founders, women who are working on the world's to-do list. These innovative business leaders are solving some of the major challenges of our times. Please sit back and be prepared to be inspired. Welcome, Erin Miller. So happy to have a conversation with you. This is way overdue. Definitely. (laughs) So many things we could start with, but let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got into Discourse Media and IndieGraph. Tell us a little bit about where you came from. Sure. So I'm a journalist first and foremost, and very much a product of the existing system. I was a, a reporter working, writing long-form features, that kind of thing for magazines and newspapers. So before this, I worked at the McLean's, the Globe and Mail, a little bit for Reader's Digest. And I just got to the point in my career where I felt really frustrated by the work that I could do within that system. And I wanted to be doing journalism and creating journalism that that was really making a difference in the world that had a positive impact on the communities that I was serving. And yet I was in the system that was just completely optimized around advertising revenue. So uh, I was just asked again and again to crank out this content to generate a certain kind of analytics that didn't really align with positive impact. And I wanted to be doing more ambitious work. So I kind of got to the point in my career where I was frustrated enough. There was a lot of layoffs happening as well where I said, okay, either I have to try to solve for some of the problems in my industry or I have to leave the industry. (laughs) So that's uh, what brought me to start Discourse Media. That was six years ago now. And what is Discourse Media? Sure. Discourse Media is the first company that I founded and it publishes the Discourse, which is our community-powered local journalism platform. Uh, It also publishes Indigenews. It's a digital local news publisher that provides in-depth journalism to communities that don't have access to other local news. There's so many of these communities right now in Canada and everywhere, but I'll just talk about Canada to start because that's the Discourse is very much focused in the Canadian space. We lost 270 local news outlets in 190 communities across Canada in the last 12 years. And we were decrying that as a a crisis that was uh, before COVID. (laughs) And COVID accelerated all these same economic trends that were leading to local news failing in these communities, which has to do with the collapse of the business model, the advertising-based business model and the print-based business model. Although we lost 275 outlets in 12 years, we actually lost more than 50 just in the last eight weeks. There's a huge apocalypse happening in this space right now in the Canadian local news sphere. Discourse itself, we're solving for that problem because we know that having access to in-depth local news is really important to the health of our democracy. There's lots of research that shows that people who live in communities without local newspapers are less likely to vote, to volunteer, even to trust their neighbors. Research that happened long before COVID suggested that infectious disease spreads faster in communities without local news. So it just feels more relevant than ever to be working on this problem of coming up with what is a replicable and sustainable model for providing that local news that these communities deserve. Whoa. 
wild statistics, huh? Mm-hmm. Just unbelievable, the decimation in the space. The shift in the business model over the last couple of decades, it just, it went from like local businesses supporting with basically ads in the back of papers. Is that how? And to this like globalized, everything aggregated together model or take me a little bit on the journey of like how that, what the system of it is. Sure. Yeah. And there's a couple of different issues there. I mean, the primary business model that has supported news, the publishing of of news content for some time for the last many decades has been advertising. So you buy a printer press, you make some kind of product of information, and that's how you build an audience. And then if you're an advertiser, if you're a commercial business or, or a government or anyone who's trying to get access to that audience to get their message across, you have no choice but to go to the owner of that printing press. And of course, what's happened in the last couple of decades is that that's been completely disrupted by the internet. Now we can reach anyone, anywhere in all sorts of new kinds of ways. Uh, The most successful way by far are the platforms. So Facebook and Google that have, you know, the most effective um, marketing and advertising products that have ever existed anywhere. For this reason, you can now target so specifically who you want to reach using Facebook and Google for way more cost efficiently than advertising in a print newspaper would be. That's really led to the decline of advertising-based revenues. And and that's just sort of one. We've also seen classifieds completely disrupted, which was a huge revenue source supporting news. The other thing that you mentioned was like, okay, were these community-owned businesses for a long time, most newspapers have been owned by families, like by rich families, who, and in some cases, public companies. We're sort of going back the rich family direction these days, it looks like. But in Canada, we have a ton of consolidation of ownership of media as well. And so there's just a handful of large companies that own these chains of local newspapers that are essentially local assets that create value locally, but then all of that is getting extracted from that local community. So that journalist who should be accountable locally and that advertising revenue that you'd like would to stay local when local businesses do choose to support their local news, all of that is actually accountable to some editor in Toronto who's accountable to some hedge fund in the States now because the big chains are, are owned by sort of their debt obligations at this point. And so the whole thing is just completely distorted. And we've seen that in the recent sale of Tourstar. And we're continuing to see that play out with Post Media, the other really large chain. And so what we're really trying to do at Discourse, and this is where IndieGraph comes in, which I, I hope um, we'll have a chance to talk about that too, Vicky, is really kind of reimagine what this local newspaper chain could look like so that it's, again, serving people and is, is motivated by impact at the center. And that business model is really aligned and incentivizing the journalists and the local businesses to support that work. So when you saw the system challenges and you saw the decimation of local outlets over time, how did you go to market with that? Like, as you thought about, like, where do I start and what's the best approach to take to solve this issue? Tell us a little bit about that and what you learned along the way and what that taught you. Oh, well, we learned so much. You know, it's interesting. I think six years ago when we started in this space, it felt like the Wild West a little bit where like nobody had any answers and like you may as well just try anything because why not? Let's just experiment. There's no harm in that. It's really changed now. So I would actually do things really differently if I was starting Discourse now than when I did six years ago. And it's changed because it's actually pretty clear in my view, like what the business model will be. And I, and I think that the current conditions that digital news is actually financially viable again, which is exciting. And it's not based around advertising. 
I would say our story of like, how do we go to market and how do we, where do we start and where do we learn? Like it really is, is one of, of experimentation and, and little successes and, and little and big failures and, and just like constantly pivoting and learning and experimenting. We started with a model that was not focused on local at all. It was about identifying where there were gaps in coverage. So for example, we saw that nobody was really doing deep reporting on the sustainable development goals. There's an issue we have in common. So we created a beat around that. And we had different topics. Like we had a child welfare, we had uh, indigenous issues. We had these different topics that we knew were not being properly reported. And then we distributed those through partnership with other media. We pivoted away from that because we realized that the existing system, our sort of theory of change was that we could push the existing system to be doing more impact of work, but the same systemic barriers were there where they didn't have the capacity to actually do that work and they weren't incentivized to do that work. So then we said, all right, well, let's build our own. And we just bootstrapped that first phase. And then we said, okay, we clearly need to like build our own media platform and compete head to head and build our own audience. We went out and raised capital to do that. That was the first time that we took on external capital. And that's where CEO got involved in Discourse's story as well. It costs a lot of money to, to build a national media platform and around these like deep dive beats and build up the audience to a point where it's actually sustainable. So that was what we were struggling with was like, how do we raise enough money to like get it to that point? And very few digital media outlets have succeeded at that is going in with this big national strategy and hiring on a whole bunch of journalists. And, but at that point, we didn't know that yet. We were still watching the success of Buzzfeed and Mashable and like a bunch of these players. And then it came very quickly clear that it wasn't a sustainable strategy to go out and build the audience and hope that the revenue would follow. And we started to see those outlets start to fail and start to sell for for pennies on the dollar of their once bloated valuations and do tons of layoffs and that kind of thing. In the meantime, we, we looked at the impact of our stories and we realized that the markets where we were having the most impact in terms of actually having a positive change on problems at the community level, whether that's policy or, you know, building a space for conversations that are anti-racist, for example, were when we were like really firmly rooted in a local community. And that was a big eye opener for us. And then we looked at it through the business metrics lens and we said, okay, where are we actually seeing the best conversion to paying? So everything in our model is built around this idea that the community will support the journalism that the community needs. And that's a mix of like local community organizations and individuals. And where we saw the biggest conversion was also at that local level. Our big learning that has led to this next step is really like, okay, we think that if you innovate on the cost structure side of things and you make this super lean, you can go in and provide journalism that is really, really needed by a local community. And that matters so much to people because people really care about their local communities that they will support that. Then we took this pivot to our current strategy, which we've been working on for a couple of years now, which is really about building a replicable local model and doing that in a really lean way. Wow. Okay. Thank you for all of that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm giving the longest answers. I just, I'm such a typical no, it, entrepreneur. It's delicious. I'm like, no, it's, I'm it's so delicious. I feel the same thing too, because it's such a hard thing to go, like, what did you learn? And you're like, oh, every single day, you know, yeah. you get ripped <laughs> apart with like, try these assumptions, like, especially for systems, anything, yeah. right? Yeah. Anything that's, that has to actually build a new model where everyone is like really directing their energy towards the existing model and tweaking it a little incrementally, make it a little bit better. And you're like, no, literally everything about it is not working. And so how do you create this new piece and how do you get people on board and dig into that motivation? It's hard. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing I've definitely learned in that space is that every front that we're innovating on adds risk and uncertainty. So it's hard to figure out how to have stability, as much stability as you could have. So for us, like we were innovating on the financing side. We did, we were the first media outlet in Canada to use offering memorandum exemption to raise growth capital from our community. Super value aligned, super innovative ownership structure. I have 320 shareholders that is really representative of the communities that we serve. That's awesome. It also brought on a whole bunch of regulatory risk that gave us you know, this huge setback in a couple of years ago when we had to deal with a securities, a BC Securities Commission review. That was one thing. Meantime, we're dealing with risk on the actual editorial and content strategy. Meantime, we're also trying to like create a culture within our organization that tackles some of the problems of like diversity and equity in my industry. So I think if one if I've learned one thing, it's like when you have to rebuild something completely, which I think media requires. It's like you kind of have to take it step by step instead of trying to take on every single front of innovation at the same time because it's just too risky. That's interesting because I literally did everything at once (laughs) as well too. Like I know exactly what an accelerator program or whatever would say to me about what we're doing. And it would be like, focus on one thing and then do the next thing. I'm like, that's not how when you were building something new, you had to like do them all at the same time. So maybe we'll dig into that in podcast number two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about IndieGraph, this new iteration and why IndieGraph and this like sort of larger infrastructure play and how you figured out how to actually build a replicable model. Yeah, I guess I'll, if I can start just by taking a step back into discourse again. So where we were, you know, I mentioned that we had this sort of big setback this basically froze our financing for six months. It was really tricky. And we had to figure out very quickly how to be much, much leaner with the change that we were trying to achieve. I don't need to get into the details of what happened with that. Uh, It's all resolved. It's all good. But it was like a major, major setback that we're still like just recovering from a cash flow and a cash position perspective, which two years later. So that tells you something about this. Through that process, so what we had was we were in three different local markets with the goal, very clear goal, of coming up with a replicable local model for providing in-depth community-powered journalism. And we were experimenting across these three markets. And it was a great uh, laboratory because we could compare different strategies. We're a very data-driven team. like We're constantly testing and learning and coming up with hypotheses and finding ways to test those hypotheses. That was really great, but we just got to the point where we just could not get to the next level with any of these markets because we were too thinly spread across all three. That setback really forced us to decide, okay, well, what are we actually about? And we were very clear that the goal was to create a replicable model. And so we pulled out of two communities in a way that was very painful and decided we're going to throw everything against the community that was showing the strongest traction in local market that we thought was the most promising in terms of being a blueprint for what could be a replicable model to impact many other communities. And that's the Discourse Couchin. So this is um, a a team led by Jacqueline Ronson, uh, who's an amazing journalist in Couchin, a small team doing investigative work in a rural community of 85,000 people. It's a valley, has a number of different towns in it. And we saw that there was really strong conversion and there was, it was still really small, but we knew that if we could like grow the audience and we could scale the conversion um, to paying at the same rates that we really were onto something. So we said, okay, we're going to throw all of our resources behind making couch and work. This was June of last year. And if we don't succeed by Christmas, 
we had to at least grow it by 500%. That was the other thing. And we were like, if, if, and at the same time, I should say, we also uh, started this new accelerator program, uh, the local news accelerator program that was supported by Facebook, who's not always my best friend, but was in this case, because they just had this amazing team of really great um, mentors and, and really top-notch people who were there to help us. And we said, look, if we can't do this, if we can't get Couch into sustainability by Christmas, then we might just have to call it because it's been six years. We're out of money. We're definitely out of energy. And like, for God's sakes, like at what point are we going to say, look, we just couldn't, we couldn't solve for this problem. And we did it. So we, uh, we were able to grow the audience and the revenue by 500% in this community and are now recently, just like a couple of months ago over that break even point in this model. And we were, did it in such a way where we really documented exactly how you could do it and figure that we've got the ingredients of one model that you can have a, a sustainable local news outlet doing this. So then our next step was to say, because our goal has never been, hey, let's provide local journalism in the couch and valley. I'd never even been there before we started working there. So then it was like, okay, our goal is to have a really large impact. And how are we going to grow community-powered journalism everywhere? This is a problem. We've got 2,000 communities that are news deserts in the States right now, for example. Like This is a global issue. We really care about making an impact in Canada, but uh, we see the application of this beyond the borders. And I, and I thought about where we had been weak in terms of our strategy and past. And it was always about raising capital. Like it was like, we always fell short on capital. And so this idea of like Aaron Miller going and raising enough money to hire some journalists and grow it and then doing that again, and then doing that again, that just didn't seem like the best scaling strategy for my own sanity and just for our own ability to actually make an impact. So then we started thinking about, okay, well, what if instead of us like, owning, that being like the centrally owned thing, what if we just created a vehicle where we could provide the business model, the technology, and kind of the back of newsroom services that any entrepreneurial journalist who wants to be serving their community need to succeed? And that's where IndieGraph came out of, was this idea that we're going to see growth way faster. And there is a moment here too. Like there really is a moment here to grow this aggressively. So we officially launched that as a new entity in January. And so far, we've we helped seven news media outlets, including Discourse. So Discourse is both a, a shareholder in IndieGraph and a client of IndieGraphs. So we've now been taking these strategies that grew the couch in, uh, the Discourse couch into by 500% and applying them to other media outlets. And we've been helping, I've had amazing results with the first seven publishers that we signed to IndieGraph. And we just closed last week a call for expressions of interest from other publishers across North America and have 60 publishers who are wanting to, to join our network. We also secured seed funding from the Google News Initiative and Facebook Journalism Project. And we think this is a really promising model and we're super excited. Well, congratulations. It's huge, but incredibly exciting. How does the business model work? So the business model with IndieGraph, again, we're building this as a company, not a nonprofit. We don't want to just be reliant on grants and that kind of thing forever. So the business model is a revenue share. So essentially, the idea is that the sort of two insights, one of them I already mentioned was around consolidation of ownership, is that we think that there's space in the industry for these really small teams of digital journalists to fill gaps. We think that there can be really small media outlets that are optimized around cost, uh, and there can be lots of them, and that we can really fill this gap, and they can be locally owned. So that's sort of like one piece of this model. 
The second piece is that we realized from the discourse couch and that you can apply these strategies that are working for the big players like the New York Times and the Guardian to these really small outlets, but it will never make sense to have a full-time marketing or salesperson or any of those kinds of things. And these journalists who are, there's a lot of unemployed journalists in this space right now who are super talented, who really care about their communities. They are really good at the journalism, but they might not have the technology capacities or the growth capacities or the revenue capacities to be able to realize their potential. So we built this in a way where we provide the technology, we provide the revenue team, and then it's pooled resources that are shared across multiple publishers so that they can access those the capacity that they need to execute the, these really sophisticated strategies for more cost efficiently than they would be able to on their own. And then we succeed when they succeed. So it's a revenue share on the revenue that they bring in through audience-based revenue strategies. And yeah, and I guess the other piece of that is just that recognizing that these journalism teams just don't a lot of them don't have access to a bunch of money to start. And so we need to also build a funding ecosystem that makes sense. And, and so we've been really actively working on that too. And I'm really pleased to say the first seven publishers that we supported, more than half of them have now been able to access follow-on funding to grow from where we brought them to their next steps. So that's really exciting. So we're helping to broker those deals as well. And I think that's really important because otherwise we're like one of the big problems with the media industry is that it's just totally white. Like it's totally run by mostly white men in their like 50s. (laughs) There's been a number of diversification efforts over the years and they've mostly, where they've had any, made any traction at all, whereas in a lot of places they've actually gotten worse, but where it's made any traction at all, it's only impacted white women. If we don't actually lower the barrier to entry and give people access to capital, it's just like the new media is going to look exactly the same and they're going to fail to serve all Canadians and we're going to continue to have these problems where we just can't that we're really seeing play out in the in media in the last few weeks where it's like there's no media that's representing huge swaths of our country. Yeah. So we're really thinking hard about equity and how we play into that as an organization led by white women as well. That's so amazing. And I think one of the things that I love having witnessed part of your journey is how you've built up and played well with the ecosystem as you find the others who are trying to solve the same problem that you are. So I wonder if you have any advice. We are starting to get a lot more system entrepreneurs at CEO applying who really are getting at the root causes of some of the major challenges that we're facing. You have a bit of a process that you use here where you like went in to solve the issue and then you are an absolutely gifted advocate at the government level uh, and at the systems level to bring people together and have conversations around mutual collaboration to create the transformation, which we have to do together. You can't just do it on your own. And I wonder if you have any advice or thoughts for others who are maybe not in the same field, but you know, looking at how do I do this work? What are the up-down levels where you're in the weeds building, but also up at the top? Yeah, that's a super hard question. And, and I think systems entrepreneurs, and it's your term you just used, I think we're really rare. And it's like, it's both like an amazing superpower and a terrible handicap (laughs) because I often find that like, oh, if I could just keep my head down on X (laughs) KPI, I would be, you know, we'd be 20, you know, 20 steps ahead, but I just can't help but looking at the horizon all the time and like constantly thinking about the systemic barriers and how we can change them. You're asking for advice. And I guess just one of them is just awareness of that and just like trying to be aware of it and just trying to at least be intentional about when we're, I'm in a phase where I'm like, I got to keep my head down. And if I don't, and I think, I think the discourse couch and example is actually a good one. It was like, 
I've been really active in government advocacy around journalism policy in Canada for the first while, especially earlier in 2019, and had my eyes a little less on my own business. And then it got into a bit of trouble. And it was like, I will have nothing to advocate for if we don't create some success stories here. So I put my head down for six months and I didn't talk to anybody from the government and we just grew it by 500%. So there's like moments for that. And there's moments to look up. I'm in a looking up moment right now. I'm very much like, involved in the government conversation and and just trying to find balance in that. I don't think it's something that can be achieved, but definitely trying to find the balance in that. One piece of advice that I think insight that came for me is I'm really, really clear on why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think some of that came from the support of MJ and other people, yourself included, Vicky through CEO, is like being able to articulate I think a lot of the time we're asked like, what is your purpose? And we, you know, spout out our organization's mission, but it's like, well, no, 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 no. What is your purpose as an individual in doing this entrepreneurial act? Is it to make impact? Is it to make money? Is it to, to achieve independence? Like there's lots of totally valid reasons for entrepreneurship. I'm super clear on what my individual one is. And that allows me to look outside my own organization and to think about, okay, this is a change I'm trying to contribute to. Discourse can do it in this way. IndieGraph's going to do it in this way. I'm involved in a charity as well. That's trying to open up new access to capital for journalism. I can think about the advocacy and I wasn't able to do that a year and a half ago. I think very much everything was discourse for me. And I just, I wasn't able to kind of look, take my head up and and say, okay, like what are the different tools that I have in my toolbox to try to push for the change I want to see? Yeah. I have a friend who once wrote some like reference on my LinkedIn, which I've then given to many people since, which is this, he had recognized from the outside looking in my unique ability to like hold the audacious vision and be a bootstrapping entrepreneur at the same time, like super practical bootstrapping and audacious vision, which is all the systems level stuff. You know, I've witnessed you in and out of that too. And I can totally see myself going through that process too. Like you just possibly can't be in balance, but you're like, oh, I got to go help with this thing right now. And then you're like, "Uh oh, (laughs) everything's falling back at the office. I got to get back there. It's powerful because it's, you can't do the systems transformation by just focusing on your own thing. No. And you have to be responsive to moments, right? Like timing is such a huge part of this. And I think, I don't know. I mean, just the, the story of Save Small Business, which was this campaign that um, started with me writing, uh, you know, an op-ed along with trying to capture some of the position that the CEO founders were experiencing at the beginning of COVID and being very concerned about the impact on uh, women-led companies and Indigenous-led companies. So I started there. And then, you know, we got such a response to that first op-ed that I was connected with John Shell. You were one of the people who connected me with John Shell. And then the next thing I knew, we're launching this like national advocacy campaign for (laughs) business. And I'm like, what? And then like a week later, we've got 45,000 members and that got us a seat at the table with government. And I'm, you know, and that's going to help discourse. It's already helping discourse and IndieGraph. And I kind of like intuitively knew that, but I I couldn't really justify it. And I remember a couple of my investors being like, okay, I see you're working like a lot on the Safe Small Business campaign. Like, how does this connect? And I was like, I don't know. Just trust me. Just trust me, you know? And I didn't know. So I think sometimes it's also about just like being open and responsive enough to trust your instincts about timing. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely helping us in a bunch of different ways. Well, and it, it helped a whole ecosystem of women entrepreneurs, like being part of that whole community was so incredibly helpful. And I mean, you definitely honed your skill around advocacy, which will help you out with everything else you're doing on these pieces. I was recently listening to a podcast that talked about all the transformation that's happened during COVID and how 
every week is like a year. Yeah. 10 weeks ago or whatever it is now, 12 weeks ago, pandemic was announced. And whatever trend you saw at that time happening in your business, if you sort of like looked out a decade, it's here. It would be a dream if we could be online with CES so we don't have to get on planes and we could all be, if people actually would come on to Zoom calls, we were doing Zoom calls before this, but now it's like, oh my God, it's here, right? It's quite exciting. And so I wonder, what have you seen completely fast forward in the media space? Has there been a dramatic shift during COVID? I mean, there's certainly been a, a loss, as you said, of so many different, like I think you said 50 outlets in the last eight weeks. Yeah, 50 outlets in eight weeks. Yeah, I'd say there's two things that have shifted dramatically that will never be the same. And not, and again, none of these are new trends. They're like, they're things that pre-existed all this and we're slowly getting there. And the first one is, of course, just the failure of the existing system. The print advertising-based model for delivering local news is over. It's over. It's never going to come back. And we saw after 2008 the revenue drops of that crash, the advertising revenue never came back to local news after that either. And, and that's happening here. So, and I fear, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I came out of newspapers. I don't hate newspapers, but we do, we do need to focus on how are we going to support journalism? I think a lot of the dialogue has been like, how do we prop up the newspapers to give them enough time to like pivot to digital? And like, personally, I think they've had enough time to transform and that we've had the internet for long enough that they should have known better. But Anyhow, but that argument just doesn't really hold anymore. And if you look at the government's policy as well, a lot of it has been designed specifically to hold new entrants out. And the argument has been that like, we need to protect the existing business model that delivers local news. We need to protect it for long enough uh, from competition for long enough that they can, they can transform. And again, that's, that's over. Like it's not, they're not delivering news. And so that big thing, it's like, there's so much space, like so much space to like grow and launch new things right now. So I think that's really exciting. And the second thing is, um, is the movement around black lives matter and how that's impact, how that's unfolded within the industry. I have no idea how much uh, people outside of, of news media have been paying attention to this, but it's like, Journalists of color within the existing system, there's not enough of them for one thing, but those who have found a way to get into the existing system are so cornered. Every time they try to tell stories that really reflect their community, they're told that they're advocates and they need to be objective or like, and, they are, and they're afraid to speak up. Yeah, there's just been this like change where journalists of color are no longer willing to play by those rules and they're going to speak up and they're going to quit and they're going to quit on air if they need to and they're going to do whatever it takes and I think that is a super exciting trend that's been long coming yeah yeah you definitely see that it's really quite exciting to see all of these shifts going on IndieGraph how can people get involved what's your ask out to the community around growing it tell me about what's happening in your own local community like is there gaps in, and IndieGraph is not only local, I should say, like we're about supporting entrepreneurial journalists who are filling any gap in coverage, but we're really focused on local for the reasons that we already talked about. But yeah, if there's a need for local journalism in your community, like get in touch. Like we need to be supporting um, journalists to, to pop up new outlets. It's like more, it's cheaper and easier than ever. So let's just build a new ecosystem. Let's do it. Awesome. And where can we find you online? IndieGraph.com. Thank you so much, Erin, for your time today. You're uh, a stellar goddess of an entrepreneur. I'm so grateful for you <laughs> persisting you. and pivoting so much. This is like such a hard thing to solve. Yeah. Uh, and there's just so many entrenched forces that keep things the way they are. So I want to thank you very much for persisting because we can see you popping through. 
it's really exciting. Well, thank you so much, Vicki. And for all your support over the years, we would definitely would not be here if not for drawing energy from the network and from you personally. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the CEO.world podcast. If this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you'd like more information about CEO, please visit us at CEO.world. That's S-H-E-E-O dot world.